0: Hello, Parkview. Great to be with you this morning. I'm just getting, okay, there we go. Okay, we're okay. Uh, Wonderful to be with you. Blessings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so wonderful to continue worship as we open up God's Word, exactly what we just sung. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us Christ from the Bible. That's why we open the Bible. Every morning if you open the Bible, evening, whenever it is, every time on Sunday, we open the Bible to see Jesus and that's what we're doing and we're going to look at Colossians 1 15 to 20 this morning Colossians 1 15 to 20 and uh, if you're online a warm welcome to you um, especially even if you're here and you're still exploring if Christianity is true considering if uh, the claims of Christ have any meaning in your life I'm so glad that you're here this Sunday um, exploring things with us Colossians 1 15 to 20 is all about Jesus And Christianity is all about Jesus. And so this is a great Sunday to understand better who is this Jesus that Christians are talking about all the time. And so I'm so glad that you are joining and watching online with us. And so as a whole church, we're in a series right now called The Year of Renewal, and we're wondering together, before the Holy Spirit, we're asking the Lord, um, we love And celebrate what the Lord has done in the past at Parkview Church. We just cherish the Lord's work at this church, and yet we're in a moment right now. Um, Pastors, elders, staff, all of us as members, we're seeking the Lord afresh, and we long for a new direction. Lord, uh, would you empower us? Would you shape us? Would you make us into the church moving forward that keeps in step with the Holy Spirit, exalting Christ and making him known both locally and globally in his great mission of making disciples. And so we want to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. We've looked at two Psalms so far, so far to kind of start this series. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds this house, unless the Lord works in this church, what we're doing here, we're just, it's totally vain and empty and meaningless. We want the Lord to show up and do something here. Then Psalm 85, what we learned is the Lord loves to pour out refreshing upon his people as they remember his faithfulness, as they cry out to him in need and seek him to empower them. And so now what we're doing is we're, we're having kind of a, a little shift. And we're asking the question, okay, what are the images, what are the pictures that we should be seeing as a church if the Lord really is renewing us, okay? What are the signs that we can kind of see around here as members and community groups on Sunday mornings, etc.? So that we know the Lord is renewing us. What are those images? What are those pictures? Well, uh, we've, we've chosen five and they're um, based on or adapted from an author named Jared Wilson in his uh, book, Gospel Driven Church. And uh, maybe they're on the screen. Maybe they won't be. I'm unsure. Okay, great. It's okay. I can just name them out here. Uh, so the first one is a growing passion for Jesus Christ. The second one is an honest heart of repentance before the Lord. The third one is a devotion to God's word. The fourth image is a delight in biblical doctrine. And the fifth image, the fifth picture of the Lord renewing us, is a deep love for our neighbors, both here at Parkview, our Christian neighbors here at Parkview, and our not, not yet Christian neighbors in our neighborhoods, at workplace, our family, our friends, wherever it may be, and also what the Lord's doing globally uh, through his church. So growing passion for Christ, repentance. A heart of love for his word, a knowledge of biblical doctrine, and a love for neighbor. These are the five pictures, the five images of what it looks like for, for a Christian, for you and I, to be renewed, to be changed, to be uh, strengthened by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit is at work, these are the five things we are longing to see the Lord do among us. And so today we're looking at the first image, a growing passion for Jesus Christ, a growing passion for Jesus Christ. In Parkview Church, here's the question currently, how is your passion for Jesus Christ? How is your passion for Jesus Christ? How is your love and delight in Jesus right now? Not what you wish it to be. I'm not asking you, where do you wish you would be in your relationship with Christ? I'm saying right now, in all honesty, how is your passion and love for the Lord Jesus Christ? As a kid growing up in Arizona, uh, I had the privilege of going to the Grand Canyon several times, and uh, it was really fun, but one of my favorite things was introducing some of my friends to the Grand Canyon uh, who had never seen it before. It it was so fun, and uh, my friends, they had kind of a textbook knowledge of the Grand Canyon, probably in geology class. They heard some different facts, or they, you know, they saw Google images of how big the Grand Canyon is, but what was really fun, and I've heard this before of people who have gone to the Grand Canyon, is when you actually walk someone up to the ledge, and they look at the Grand Canyon, usually they they make some sort of statement like, oh, wow, this is way bigger than I had thought. And that's what Colossians 1, 15 to 20, does for us. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, holds us by the hand, the Lord, through Colossians 1, 15 to 20, holds us by the hand, brings us to the edge of the canyon that is Jesus Christ, And my earnest prayer as as a pastor here for us is this, that we'd walk away from our time in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and we would say, oh, wow, Jesus is way bigger than I had thought. Many of us have textbook knowledge of Christ. We know the facts. We can talk about the facts of Christ. Maybe we kind of have a Google image version of our understanding of Christ. But through Colossians 1, my prayer is that we'd go from Many times, right, what is boredom, what is kind of a dullness in our passion for Christ, but that we would be set on fire by the Holy Spirit through Colossians 1 to see a huge vision of Jesus Christ and his sovereignty over creation and his sovereignty over the church. And so that's what we're looking at. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to read the passage out loud. We're all going to listen intently to God's word for us in Colossians 1, and then I'll pray and then we'll move forward, all right? So God's word for us, Colossians 1, Starting in verse 15, let's hear the word of the Lord. He is the image, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. By the blood of his cross. This is God's word. It is true and it is given to us in love. Please pray with me. Father, show us Christ. Exalt your Son into our hearts by the power of the Spirit. We know, Father, that is your great passion. To see women and men seeing Jesus Christ. Loving Jesus Christ. Passionate about Jesus Christ. And so pour out your spirit upon this church. Use your word to accomplish your work here in this church that you love and empower me by the Spirit to be a faithful servant of your word for these people that I love. Please use this time. Please use this time to ignite a blazing passion for Jesus Christ and his sovereignty. In this church, in his name we pray, amen. So we're learning from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, what a church in renewal looks like. It looks like a church that's going to keep, here it is, a, a church that's going to keep focusing on the sovereignty of Christ. A church that's just amazed at how big he is, and we're going to look at it in two ways. Okay, The sovereignty of Christ in creation, verses 15 to 17, and the sovereignty of Christ in the church, verses 18 to 20. Now I'm going to use the word sovereignty, and it might sound like a churchy word. It's a word the Bible uses to explain how huge, how big God really is. That he is bigger than we thought when we approach the canyon of all the infinite awesomeness of God. We see that he is sovereign, meaning he has ultimate control and authority over all things everywhere all the time. That's what we mean by sovereignty. So as I to use that word, God's huge, big control over all things, all the time, everywhere. So first, let's look at the sovereignty of Christ over creation, verses 15 to 17. Would you please look down with me at verse 15, where Paul explains his first point. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, The image of the invisible God, meaning Jesus reveals what God is like. Jesus in the Gospels, actually, in John 14, even in John 1, uh, he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And this means, according to verse 15, if he's the image of the invisible God, the perfect representation of what God is like, he is the firstborn of all creation. That's a little bit different language for us. We don't talk about um, someone's the firstborn. I guess someone's the firstborn in a family. But it doesn't mean that Jesus was at some point born in eternity past, that he was all of a sudden created. Poof, there Jesus was not, and then all of a sudden, poof, there he was. No, firstborn is a language actually uh, talking about kingship, sovereignty over creation. Paul here is actually referencing Psalm 89. In Psalm 89, it talks about how God's coming future king is going to rule over his creation in sovereign power and love. God says this in Psalm 89, verse 27, about the coming king. I will make my king the firstborn, the firstborn. And then it helps us understand what it means. It says, the highest of the kings of the earth. <laughs> Psalm 89, I will make my king the firstborn, meaning the highest of the Of the kings of the earth. So right off the bat, here Paul using Psalm 89, a category from Psalm 89, is trying to show that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. He is king over creation. He is sovereign. He is the one who rules all things in creation. Then Paul then is going to prove Christ's sovereignty in the next two verses. In verse 16, we're going to see how Christ is sovereign because he starts all things. And then verse 17, he's sovereign because he sustains all things. Look at verse 16. For by him, all things, all things were created, started, founded in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities here and elsewhere in Paul's New Testament letters. These mean spiritual forces primarily but also can include earthly rulers and authorities. It says Jesus created all these things and they were created through him. Look at this last phrase. They were created through Jesus and for him. For him. So just like any founder of an institution or company, Jesus, the one who begins creation, has the authority to determine the purpose of creation. All things are for him. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says to us from Colossians 1 that creation exists for him, for his purposes, because he is sovereign, all things created for Jesus. Now, real quick, next time you're driving in your car on Monday going to work or just before, maybe it's like 8.57 before the Zoom clicks on, because most of us now, all of our meetings are on Zoom, what if you just paused for a moment, for a minute and 13 seconds, and you just had this moment where you realized, as you're driving to work or before the Zoom call, my job exists for Jesus Christ. I wonder how that would change the way that we engage our 9 to 5 work week. Back to the text. So not only did Jesus start creation in verse 16, he also sustains creation. He sustains all of creation. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things. Basically, Paul here is just repeating before, meaning Jesus numero uno. He comes before all else. And so lean in here. And in Jesus, all things hold together. In Christ, all things, all things hold together together this word holding together means he sustains it he is the one who works and makes sure that everything is accomplishing the purpose for which he designed it now let's reflect together what we're seeing about Jesus so far from colossians 1:15 to 17 verse 15 he's sovereign he's firstborn ruler king over creation And that's demonstrated because he started all things, verse 16, and he sustains all things, verse 17. And do you know, Parkview, what all things means? It means all things. It means all things. It means that Jesus is right now, right now, sustaining all things in your life, your marriage things. Your singleness things, your money things, your sexuality things, your nine-to-five work things, your exhausted student things, your regrets and shame things, your depression and anxiety things. I'm not sure what particular things are troubling you this morning. But according to Colossians 1, 15 to 17, there is a ruling sovereign creator over the entire universe who knows your things, and according to verse 17, is holding those things together in the grip of his almighty power. Park, you could not, you could not be more safe and secure in the sovereign care in power of Jesus Christ. He has started all things, and he holds together all things. Parkview, we want to become a church that just has a huge vision of Jesus Christ, a massive passion that the thing that excites us most in the morning when we make up, wake up is Jesus. And the first way we enter into the still waters and green pastures of a passion for Jesus Christ is by recognizing that all the things are being held together for Jesus and all those things exist in your life to somehow put the spotlight upon the greatness and majesty of Jesus. Wow, just amazing. That's the first thing, the sovereignty of Christ in creation. Let's look at the second thing. Sovereignty of Christ in creation, verses 15 to 17. And now Paul's going to turn. He's going to look at the sovereignty of Christ in his church. The sovereignty of Christ in his church. Look at verses 18. And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. Paul uses unique language here, but but if we slow down, we'll, we'll make sense of it. He Christ is the head of the body of the church the church being nourished and empowered by Christ. I mean if you cut off the head if you cut off the head the body's dead. Okay? That's what Paul's saying. Christ nourishes and is the power the powering control center of the church. In verse 18 Christ is the beginning the firstborn of the dead. Elsewhere, what Paul's saying here, elsewhere in the New Testament letters from Paul, especially First Corinthians 15. We're in 1 Corinthians, right? We've kind of paused, but we've been in 1 Corinthians. When you go to 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see Paul used the phrase that Christ is the firstfruits from the dead. That's what Paul's meaning here. Jesus is the, in his resurrection, he is a snapshot of of a coming harvest of our own physical resurrection bodies. What happened to Jesus, if we are connected to him as the head, will also happen to us, raised from death to new bodily life, okay? But what Paul's saying here is that the beginning is the beginning of the new humanity. Jesus is the beginning of a new group of people, a church, a new humanity that have been raised Currently, in new spiritual life in Christ, as we await a future time where we are raised with physical rex- resurrection bodies in the future. And so, as the church, we are resourced by Christ, our head, to show the world that Jesus is beginning something new, that God has entered into human history to begin something new, the beginning of of a new humanity, a new way to be human with Jesus as the leader, with Jesus as the one who gets to call the shots in how we live our human lives, with Jesus the one infusing our lives with the dignity and sanity of how we were created to live as humans. And here we are living in a secular culture, And many sociologists and social commentators are saying that we are decreasing rapidly in our ability as as a human community to experience meaning and fullness in our lives in the Western contemporary culture. And yet here we have Jesus as the head of his church infusing his church as a new humanity, a new way to be human, to have meaning and dignity in the Lord Jesus. But look at this, though. This is where it's all heading at the very ending of verse 18. So that... Christ, the beginning of new humanity, the head of the church, so that in all things he might be preeminent. Preeminent meaning first place, highest rank, sovereign. So Christ would be sovereign in the church. So if Jesus had a to-do list on his phone or a Google task or whatever thing that you use, okay, maybe a little notepad beside your bed, and you wake up in the morning, if Jesus woke up in the morning and he looked at his Google task list or whatever it is, The first agenda item on his list every day for eternity is to gain preeminence, to have preeminence in all things in every aspect of church life. That—that's quite an agenda. That's quite an agenda for the Lord Jesus. But notice how Jesus accomplishes this great task of being preeminent, of being sovereign. He does it through verse nine: "For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." You see, the to dwell. Verse 19, it says that he dwells, and then verse 20, through him to reconcile, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Get this, making peace, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus reigns victorious as sovereign king by dwelling with us in the incarnation where God became human, but then ultimately not just dwelling with us, but dying for us in crucifixion, God reconciling humans. That is how Christ, that is the pathway, the means by which Jesus is preeminent in his church. That is how Jesus creates a new humanity of people coming together, Who were once in the chaos and darkness of sin and rebellion, and have now been transferred into the kingdom, according to verse 13 and 14 of Colossians 1, into the kingdom of the beloved Son, where they have the forgiveness of their sins and new life in Jesus Christ. Notice again. In verse 18, the purpose of all of this, the purpose of Jesus' amazing work in coming, verse 19, incarnation, dwelling to dwell, and then verse 20, in reconciliation, making peace, all of it is so that Christ is the head, preeminent place of a church, of a church, meaning this. this 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 is what it means. Christ, the head of the church, sovereign over the church, is that this, Jesus has an advertisement company. Uh, Jesus has an advertisement company and it's called the local church. He has a billboard people by which he displays to the world what it looks like when Jesus takes over control of a human existence and infuses into that human person and in that human environment in that community his love and, verse 20, his peace. That is what Christ is doing in the church. He is gathering sinful men and women, cleansing them of their sin, putting them together in a family called the church, which is his body, which is an advertisement, a display to the people of Jesus's rule, of what it looks like when he is in control, of what it looks like that Jesus is sovereign. Jesus begins in his church right now what one day he'll spread and in a good infection over all creation, that he is sovereign Lord and in him is fullness of peace with God. That is why the church Exists, to display the preeminence, the sovereignty, the greatness of Jesus Christ. And this, friends, is crucial for us right now. It is crucial for us right now because we have all seen on the news reports of the chaos at the Capitol building. And yet what struck me was seeing signs As people are a part of this chaos and disorder, people holding signs that say Jesus saves in the hands of people causing the chaos and disorder, which is a direct contrast to the Jesus we actually see in Colossians 1 and is contrary to the church that is led by the sovereign Christ. In Colossians 1, what do we actually see about what Jesus is like? It says that he is the sovereign, the ruler over a new humanity. But this new humanity is a people created in peace through a cross. And when a church submits independence to this head, this Jesus, they advertise to a watching world what Jesus is like. But but think of it this way. The church is to show the world that Jesus saves. But Colossians 1.20 shows us how exactly Jesus saves. Jesus did not save through aggressive insurrection at a Capitol building. Jesus saves through a bloody crucifixion on a Roman cross. Therefore, through his death, as he has ruling power and authority over his church... We the church connected to this head, Jesus, who rules in peace through crucifixion, we become representatives of his peace, pursuing lives of love and calmness and sanity and order under his rule. That church that holds up a banner that says, Jesus saves, does not enter into a capitol building with angry violence, but enters into the places of darkness and chaos and pain with the weapons of love and mercy and peace in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of what these wonderful people are doing in Ukraine, or it reminds me of what we've heard over the years of what the Lord is doing at the Rafa House in Cambodia, a Parkview Global Worker Partnership, in which they, Christians, Christians, with the banner of Jesus saves, are walking into the places of darkness and chaos of people who have been abused by sex slavery. And they are bringing the healing presence and peace and peace of Jesus Christ. And Christians do these type of things because they actually are connected to the true head of what the Bible declares. A head, Jesus Christ, who brings peace, through a cross, through loving self-sacrifice. That is what it looks like, brothers and sisters, when Christians are part of a new humanity under Jesus and we hold up the banner, Jesus Saves. Parkview Church, we need to become a people increasingly In a culture right now in our country that is lost in aggressive hatred and animosity towards one another. Where one's political party has become one's savior and the centerpiece of identity. Where our emotional desires and devotion are more dictated by the political candidate in the presidential office than they are upon a sovereign Christ on the throne over all things. And we as a church must become a people... Who are so focused upon the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ and so emotionally excited about him that we bear witness, we bear witness as an advertisement to a culture lost in chaos and disorder about the peace and shalom and wholeness and dignity that happens when Jesus saves, when Jesus rules the church. Parkview, he is the head of this body. We are his body. He has made peace. Let's live like it. Let's be a witness to this world. So what have we seen so far in Colossians 1? Well, 15 to 17, we saw that Christ is sovereign over creation. And then in 18 to 20, we see that Christ is sovereign over his church. So here's how I want to conclude in three ways. I'm talking to three different people here, okay? First, I want to talk to you. If you're here, maybe you're online. You're online. And uh, I want to talk with you, if you're not yet committed yourself to Jesus Christ, what you see here, and maybe what you're currently understanding about Jesus is that uh, Jesus is really, he's great, and uh, he cares a lot about my spiritual life. And he comes, and I I invite him into my life, okay, Uh, and he comes in to kind of help me figure out the spiritual life and make me a better person, so I can be just a, a better person to other people around me. But, but the vision of the Jesus that we see in Colossians 1 is a, is a Jesus so huge, so powerful, so awesome that you don't just invite him into your life. He, through his powerful grace, invades your life and draws you from rebellion and sin into his love and mercy and peace. And not only that, he doesn't just care about your spiritual life, but he is the Lord of all things, your work life, your money life, your relationship life, et cetera, et cetera. We could go down the list. So what Jesus is calling you to do today is this, is to repent, which means to change your thinking, to change the direction of your life, where you no longer live with you calling the shots. But now you get to be included into Christ as Lord, where he calls the shots, where he is sovereign, where he is powerful over your life, where he brings peace and restores order and salome. Some of you are experiencing a life filled with chaos and trouble. And the offer to you today from Colossians 1 that Jesus is speaking is he says, come to me and I will actually give you peace. I will help you put back your life together again. That's what the Lord Jesus offers you, and so all it does is a simple step of opening your heart to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want your peace. I need reconciliation through your cross. Please help me. Second person is, I want to talk to our young people today. There's not many, many young people here. There's a few young people here, so mostly you're probably online. If you're online, and you're a young person, now, I want to speak to you specifically about the culture we currently find ourselves in, what it means to be faithful to Jesus. In our current culture, some people call the culture of the sovereign self. Okay? And by that, what culture commentators are, mean is this. Through Netflix or through your Spotify playlist, the songs we sing, Instagram, whatever it is, uh, we, we are told that you can define who you are by looking inside of yourself to discover your unique passions and desires and then expressing that to the world. We live in a culture that through the Netflix uh, TV shows and the Instagram stories and the Spotify playlists, whatever it is, it teaches us that our purpose in life is that we can be self-creators. We can curate a version of ourselves that we put online for people to accept and affirm. And we see this, for example, whenever a celebrity or some famous person, athlete, whoever it is, changes either a direction in their career or changes kind of the way that they dress, their style, or especially when someone changes their, their gender. We are in a culture where we have self-sovereignty to kind of manipulate ourselves into the person that we feel ourselves to be inside. And yet this way of living can only, can only lead to confusion and heartache. Because inside each of us, have you noticed this, is a multitude of desires and feelings. For example, maybe some of you, you want to be a great musician. But also inside of you, you want to play a lot of video games with your friends online. You can't play hours and hours of video games online and also be, you know, the next best musician. You have to choose one or the other. How do you actually discern which desires in you are the real you? And here's the relief that Colossians 1 gives to us in the midst of our exhaustion of trying to find ourselves. So we have Colossians 1, a Jesus who created us, and it says in verse 16, right, that all things exist for him, meaning he gets to define your purpose, where your authentic self is based not upon what you feel inside, but upon Jesus Outside of you, objective reality that he can give to you. Christ has the authority to define who you are. And, and here's, a, here's a tip, okay? When I was probably your age, around age 15, I kind of remember thinking, right, uh, my parents don't understand me. My parents don't, they don't understand who I am. Well, guess what? I'm 30 years old now, and I look back at my 15-year-old self, and guess what? Mom and dad actually knew who I was. And so when mom and dad or whoever it is in your life, some adult is trying to speak into your life and try to encourage you towards a certain purpose or passion, I'm not talking you to be enslaved a, a to your parents. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm, I am saying this. If in Colossians 1.18 it says that Jesus is the head of the church, well, the way Jesus structured the church is he has given us the gifts of godly older men and women who can speak life and identity into us to help us realize who we are in Christ. And as we listen to our parents, or maybe it's an aunt or an uncle, or maybe for you it's a youth group leader or whatever, as you listen to them speak to you about, here are the gifts the Lord has given to you. Here's what I see in you. Here's your security in Jesus Christ. Here's how loved and accepted you are in Jesus. You don't have to look for that on social media posts. When we become a community of young people willing to look around to those around us to help us, we then, through their help, can have our eyes lifted to Christ and we can become a generation of young people who are living for the glory of Jesus Christ, which is a witness to a world around us enslaved to the passions and desires inside of them which are only leading to further confusion and depression and anxiety. This is the good news of Colossians 1 for all of you young people out there. Your true self, your authentic self, can be found in Jesus Christ because He made you. And as the one who made you, He can define you. Last but not least, it's just we're in a season of renewals at church. So what does this all mean for us as a church? What does Colossians 1 15 to 20 mean for us as a church? Well. Verse 18 says Christ is the sovereign head, head over his church. We are his body. Um, Addicts, people with addictions, they have a constant propensity to fixate on one thing that they desperately need for survival. Paul here shows us what it means to become addicted to Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have to really point out the obvious, but look in the, verse, the six verses that we just studied. Verse 15, what does it say? He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, by him all things created. Verse 17, he is before all things. In him all things hold together. Verse 18, he is the head of the body. He is preeminent. Verse 19, in him God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, through him to reconcile all things through the cross. What do we see here? Paul is just showing us what normal, healthy Christianity is. And he can't even get through a verse without talking about Jesus Christ, without focusing on Jesus Christ. And so think about what that means for us in our personal lives. If Christ is the head of this body, if Christ is sovereign over us and created all things and all things hold together in him, in our personal lives, what would it look like to create space, unhurried, slow space, to digest the Bible? Because in the Bible we understand that's where we meet this amazing Christ. Personal lives. You know, Netflix and Twitter, they're super fun. But I think when we're all on our deathbed, I'm assuming none of us are going to regret that we didn't watch more Netflix or that we didn't do more Twitter posts or whatever. But I bet you will regret, regret, you could regret not knowing Christ more, not giving the best that you've got to seeking Christ. In our 30-minute prayer gatherings, Uh, wow, come on, guys, this has been so fun. We've been praying about Christ. It's all about Christ. I've been loving watching so many people. Beth Noller, you're here somewhere. There you are. Amazing. Christine, uh, you're serving out here faithfully. You've been on the prayer thing. Ben and Joyce Long, Rachel Coble, Jay and Ed Gratton, Daryl Funk. Man, I could go down the list. These people are just inspiring me as a pastor whose prayer life just struggles to just go all out for Christ. And we're praying about Jesus. I just love it. So whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. We're all learning from you. We just love you guys. As a staff and elders, what could it be as we plan and strategize for the future of Parkview Church to make sure that as we gather together in our meetings, that we create space in our agenda just to get to know Christ more and that we create a plan moving forward. That's all about people growing in Christ, people coming to know Christ. It's all about Christ and how we plan our community groups. How can we create space in our community groups just to talk about what we're learning about Christ? One-on-one relationships over coffee in our search for new leadership roles at a church. How can we make sure that we're looking for people with the character of Christ that are following the purposes of Christ? Christ, Christ, Christ. A church all about the sovereign Christ. The band's gonna come up and we're going to be singing, and this is what we're going to be singing. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified on the altar of our life. That's exactly it. That's Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Christ, our head, who nourishes us and who strengthens us and who empowers us, To live for him, all things created by him and for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. You're sustaining us right now, Jesus. And as the head, you're nourishing us and empowering us. and, And you've done that through coming to dwell with us and then reconciling us to yourself by making peace. And you've done this so that you can create a church here at Parkview where people are displaying what it looks like when Jesus is in control, when Jesus is sovereign. That Christ is a magnified through us, men and women, coming together to show off, to point to the greatness of Christ. Lord, help us become a church that's all about Christ. Amen.